What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. Now, this week's show might be a little more low-key because we all know Clay Milliken, my guest, is a super low-key, just, you know, even-keel kind of guy. So, you know, just be ready for that. Of course, I'm Justin. What's going on, Clay? Man, I'll tell you what, it's good. You're right. You know, I'm a little microphone shy. Sometimes you have to drag it out of me to get me to talk, you know, but uh, I'm excited to be on the Drag Zine podcast. I have listened to every episode. I really enjoy the show. You help uh, fill a lot of time when I'm behind the wheel driving to these races. That's for sure. I have learned that from my friends and people that follow the show that are like, oh yeah, you know, when I'm going to events, mowing the lawn, whatever, it's like, it's kind of weird when you hear people like you talk about that because I'm, you know, I'm just fortunate enough to get here paid to have fun and talk to, to racers. But it, it's kind of weird when people are like approach me about it, like, oh, I listen to your show all the time or I've seen you. It's like, oh, wow, people actually watch and listen. Cool. It is. It's a good show. You do a good job with it. And, uh, you know, anything with uh, racing and cars and anything goes fast, I'm in. Yeah, you're, you're the same mindset. Me, I like anything that's loud, fast, and dangerous, right? Absolutely. No doubt about it. I mean, we've been on the road. We raced uh, five out of the last six weeks. We did four in a row. And what do I do on my off weekend? Thursday night, about eight o'clock, I decided I'm off this weekend. What am I going to do? I bought a plane ticket and flew to Denver and went to the No Prep Kings race. So uh, just got home and getting ready to leave for Dallas. And so that'll make seven straight weeks of being at the racetrack and I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. I saw that on a, the, you, uh, you and Jim Howard going back and forth about that on Facebook that uh, you guys are Tennessee boys and uh, that no prep Kings deal. That's, that's an interesting ride, isn't it? It really is. I had an absolute blast. I mean, you know, Jeff Lutz is one of my best friends, him and Jeffrey and Christine, they're awesome people and certainly buddies with a lot of those guys over there. And, uh, you know, I've been going pretty hard at making uh, YouTube videos and my channel is growing really well. And it was a great opportunity to go hang out with Jeff and and Sean, a.k.a. Murder Nova and Phantom and all the guys and, you know, grab some content and uh, see some great racing. And also it never fails. Anytime I show up when Lutz is running his car, he puts wrenches in my hand. And, and I kind of love that, too, because. As much as I love driving, I love working on race cars, too. And so I got the opportunity to work on some cars this weekend before we head to Dallas, where I'll go out there and stomp on that loud pedal. It's always fun. It seems like there's a lot of times when I even I go to an event and I even as a media person before I've been conscripted to help with stuff where I volunteer where you see a team might need some help. I'm like, you know, here, I'll hold that for you. Where I try to do something like that. You know, it, it, as a racer, you appreciate that, right? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, you know. Racing is just a fierce competition, and, and a lot of times, you know, teams may get a little sideways, but when you see somebody down and out struggling, you know, if you can get in there and help them out, that's just the right thing to do, and then you can battle it out when you uh, pull in the water box, you know, that that's kind of how it goes, you know, but I really have a blast going to the racetracks. I certainly had a blast this weekend with, with Jeff up on the mountain. I mean, there is uh, just something special about Bandamir. It's uh, one of the hardest places you could ever go to try to run your race car. But at the same time, the Bandamirs do such a great job. And uh, if you figure it out, you can start turning wind lights on. And uh, we were fortunate enough to do that with, with Jeff's car this weekend. Yeah, it, it's interesting going up there with a turbo car because it's uh, 
not exactly the uh, the most ideal conditions at times actually for any power adder but turbo cars and nitrous cars definitely uh they, they struggle a bit up there at times oh man i tell you you know uh i guess it's been a couple years ago thanks to covid since no prep kings was there and i know it was a a huge deal on the show when jeff and scott taylor raced each other and they had they had some words because jeff wasn't happy with how Scott stage knowing that the turbo car that Jeff was in was going to have trouble, you know, getting spooled up. And so Jeff figured out a little battle plan and, and uh, it all worked out this weekend because it is nothing for it to take eight, 10, 12, 14 seconds to get a, a turbo car spooled. And, you know, uh, somebody with a pro charge car can certainly uh, mess you up with the seven second time out of the starting line. And, uh, it was interesting what, what Jeff came up with, and uh, I agreed with it. I, I said the only problem with doing that is getting the transmission really hot. So essentially what he did was before he even pre-staged, he started spooling the thing up, and which meant you were on the trans brake for a super long time. But he was confident in the transmission he's got in that thing, and it was wild. You know, you start spooling one of those things, popping and banging before you're even staged, but I don't know, you know, you figure it out. I mean, it's no different when we go up there with the top fuel car. I've been really good the last few years at Denver, but you go there, you know, hoping that you leave with somewhat most of the parts you went there with because to go fast there, you got to be pretty brutal on all your equipment. You know, it's more timing, more compression, more blower, more everything, you know, and just hope that it holds together when you get to the end. It's funny you mentioned that with the turbo car. That's like at the point. I wonder if he just went into his display on on the fuel tech and just you know we're just going to take transmission temperature. We're not going to look at that this weekend. We'll look at it on the log, but it's like out of sight, out of mind, right? Oh, it was crazy. You know, like I said, obviously, you know they they don't want you to talk about who won what, but you can find it on the internet. And uh, you know, Jeffrey is is the tuner on that car, and Jeffrey's doing a great job and. And it actually started spooling faster as the rounds went. And Jeff and Jeffrey had a discussion about should we change the transmission fluid? Because it wasn't nothing that we were doing to make it spool faster. It was simply the old transmission fluid was getting thinner and thinner and thinner, <laughs> you know, because uh, it was definitely hot. Yeah, it's uh, the turbo car that I grew. We have one person hang us out one time. And after that, we're like, you know, let's, let's make sure that doesn't happen again. And it, it's funny when you're prepared for that and people think they're playing games and you're ready for it. It's not that big of a deal. We're like, we could sit on the break all day. We're fine. You know, you're the one that's putting yourself in a mental game. You just, you do what you got to do. Right. Yep. Yep. I gotta, I gotta hand those guys. They, uh, and girls, uh, they, they had discussions ahead of time, like, look, this is what I'm going to do to before I stage, you know, I need to get this thing spooled up. And, you know, they all seem to work that way. It's not necessarily that way in my world, you know. <laughs> Once you put the helmet on, you know, all bets are off. But, man, watch some great racing. It was a fun show, and they had a lot of people there watching. It, it was awesome. I mean, if anybody thinks that drag racing's not healthy, they're sitting behind the keyboard and not going to the racetrack because I've been to a lot of events, you know, since COVID happened, this whole pandemic thing. And while early on, it was very, very weird, but the start of this year, it has been lights out at almost every track we've been to. This It's been just 
full. Lots of lots of racing fans out there, and I love it. I mean, this is all I do for a living, and when I see the grandstands full, it just makes me stomp on that loud pedal harder. And as a racer, I'm sure that probably, you know, it's it's a little bit of a, you know, a, a pump up when you get this, like when you know you're getting to race in front of a ton of people, it's just, it puts a different spin on it, doesn't it? I mean, it does, you know, uh, race car drivers are, uh, you know, I, we're kind of show outs, you know, we're, we're doing it to uh, have fun and, and we, we love it when the grandstands are full, you know, that's, that's all there is to it. It, it makes us try not that you're not trying hard all the time because, you know, this it's what we do and we love our job, but man, it's just something special. You know, you can feel it when, when there's a full house, you know, it just makes you want to go out there and, and do everything you can. And maybe sometimes more than you really can just to, to put on a good show for those people that paid their hard earned money to come watch you. I absolutely love it when the place is full and, uh, it's just amazing how many people have been to the races this year. And kind of going off that, you know, you started out as a sportsman racer, you know, for many years where uh, unfortunately a lot of times as a sportsman racer, you're uh, not exactly running in front of the big crowds and whatnot, but spending that time as a sportsman racer, you know, how did that prepare you looking back now to be a top fuel racer? Because I, I think they're both kind of symbiotic. How did it prepare you? Well, I'll tell you for me, I love sportsman racing. I'm still a sportsman racer at heart. I say all the time I'm a bracket racer at heart, and I feel that I really am. Uh, I go to the racetrack here in, in Memphis. It's really in Millington, Tennessee, but I go out there all the time. And my sister is a bracket racer. Her husband's a bracket racer. We grew up bracket racing, and, you know, I, I take every opportunity I got to go watch and hang out and I mean I've even you know took part in uh, the Great American Guaranteed Million I was uh, I guess a kind of a color commentator for that deal on the live feed you know uh, sportsman racers are the best in the in the business you know I don't care what anybody thinks you know they're you know they leave the grandstands when the super comp cars run and what they don't realize is they're missing some of the best racing there is you know it does take a little bit to figure out some of it. You know, a handicap start confuses people sometimes, but if you understand it, you will appreciate it. And it would make you go to your local bracket race. You know, obviously the biggest money in drag racing is hands down bracket racing. I mean, it every weekend you can go somewhere and race for 50 grand, hundred grand or a million dollars, you know, no other drag racing even comes close to that. And, the best in the business are the sportsman racers, period. Oh, that's when I have Frank Holly on the show and I asked him what kind of skill or, you know, what other kind of class you want to race. He goes, I want to learn to be a top level bracket racer because they have a certain skill set. And I think that's why you'll see a lot of, you know, the, the newer generation of, you know, professional drivers spent their time junior dragsters and worked their way up and they learned those muscle memories and those skills that carry forward. It's like, uh, it's like your boot camp for nitro. Oh, it's getting there. It's getting there because when I started, which was a long, long time ago, you know, the, the people around didn't understand it, didn't know what it was. And, you know, but you, you got your Eric Anders and Sean Langdon who are some of the best in the business, you know, Leah, you know, these 
people are young enough that they started in the junior dragsters and kind of made their way through it. And, you know, but then you got the group of people that for somehow, some way, you know, they, they started at a higher level. And I think sometimes, you know, they missed out, you know, there's so much to learn from your local Saturday night bracket race, you know, how to stage the car, you know, what all those orange cones means out there, where the finish line is, you know, it's, uh, I got to tell this story and, the, and I get, well, I won't use any kind of names for this, but when I first started in the NHRA, and of course, you know, everybody knows me as starting in the IHRA in top fuel, but my first few races were in the NHRA and they used to always, before every event, they would have a driver's meeting. And Mike Clover was my crew chief when I started. And, and of course he is again right now. But at all those meetings, the first few we went to, they would always say the scoreboards are before the finish line. The scoreboards are at the finish line or the scoreboards are past the finish line. So we did a couple of these meetings and we were leaving one of them. And, and I asked Mike, I said, why do they always tell us where the scoreboards are? And he said, that way you'll know where to shut off at. And I said, well, what are these guys looking at? And he said, well, they're using the scoreboards to know where to shut off. And I'm like, well, that's just crazy to me. And he said, what do you mean by that? I said, I drive by the cones. You know, I use the cones because that's my bracket racing, you know, upbringing. You know, I, I know where I'm at on the racetrack, but that was kind of eye-opening to me. And, and it just told me that the majority of the people that, that we grew up watching never bracket raced, you know, and a lot of those guys are retired and not racing anymore, but they didn't do that. You know, they, they started in fast cars and, and, and of course they made our sport what it is. And, and I, I look up to all those guys, but bracket racing wasn't how they learned to do it, you know? And so for me, you know, I drive using the cones and, and you, and the people I just mentioned, you know, Erica and Sean, Leah and everybody, you know, everybody has gotten better and better and better and their game is up, but that was always fascinating to me to, to go to those drivers meetings and to learn that some of the biggest names ever, you know, were looking at the scoreboards and they needed to know where they were at. So they knew where to shut off. So it's just crazy, you know, how things have evolved. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that harkens back to the day, you know, what we'll call it the, the, the first golden age when you'd have, 40 you know fuel cars show up because you could afford to build one in your garage and you know it was a different breed back then i mean open face helmets with goggles i mean it's not that old brad (laughs) i know you're not that old but i mean you know what i'm talking about like you said those old school guys that you know they'd smoke while they were you know loading up the fuel i mean it's it it was a different breed back then you know they, they didn't have bracket racing they had you know a gas, B gas, C gas. Like it was, it was a completely different universe. And to me, that's what, again, that's, that's an interesting story because again, it talks about that, that fascinating, like that changing of the guard. Yep. hundred percent. And then in my time to, to, from where I started to where we are now, you know, it, it still, <clears throat> it was a lot said about it. You know, at one point this year, you know, I had a, had an ear problem and hopped out of the car at, at Norwalk and, and we put Austin Brock in because I had some craziness going on with my ears and equilibrium and all that. And he was amazed at all the things that I did in the race car that for as good as he is, and that kid is a wheel man, 
he's like, golly, this, you, you do everything old school, you know, things have evolved and I haven't necessarily changed with them. You know, I don't use a throttle stop. I don't use a clutch pedal stop. And, and I also don't use the automatic shutoff, uh, you know, and, and a lot of the, the people out there driving, you know, they, they don't even know, need to know where the cones is or the, or the finish line is because they just hold the pedal down and, and essentially it's got a wheel counter on it. And when it goes, you know, whatever, 990 feet, 999 feet, whatever the crew chief sets it up, you know, it shuts the throttle, it opens the parachutes and does all those things. And I still do it myself, you know? And uh, so Austin had a blast driving my car. He's like, man, this is so cool. You know, this is how they used to do it back in the day. And I'm like, said the same thing to him. I'm like, all right, kid, I'm, I'm on, you know, yes, I'm plenty old enough to be your dad, but it ain't been that long ago where we had to do it this way, you know, <laughs> but it's amazing how things change and they change every year. And that's how these cars go faster and faster and faster. And, you know, the, the crew chiefs figured out technology gets better and, and it's really cool to, to have been a part of, of some of that evolution, you know, and talking about the evolution and whatnot, you know, who were the racers that when you first, you know, started doing the nitro deal that you looked up to and it influenced your career? Because we all have people like that. And it's, it's, it's a theme that I have on the show that I've noticed that you don't realize you're a part of history at the time until you look back at it. But who are these people that you race with that kind of influenced what you did and got you to where you are? Well, I mean, you know, my daddy kind of gave me the, uh, how to handle a car sort of thing. And so he's at the top of my list when it comes to all that, you know, my whole family actually, because they supported me so much. But when it comes to, you know, the, the names that people will know, you know, there was, uh, I kind of got different levels of, of what I think about some of these people and what they did. So, you know, the top of the list, as far as professionalism, how to go out and, and do things and do this for a living, you know, was Kenny Bernstein. He's the top of the top. He taught everybody how to treat sponsors, you know, how your pit area should look, how the car should look. You know, he was the top of the top when it comes to that. And then I mentioned the no throttle stop thing, you know, so I enjoy once I learned how, and it took a long, long time before I, I learned to do burnouts in a nitro car without using the throttle stop. You know, it was Dale Poldy, another guy that was really, really good at it was Whit Baysmore, you know, but that cool throttle control rolling onto the throttle and, and it means nothing for making the car go faster. It's just cool. You know, it's just one of those things that's really, really cool, you know, and, and, you know, obviously, you know, Garlitz is, is the man when it comes to anything and everything drag racing, but there's so many people that, you know, you watch and you grow up you know, like, man, that guy's so good. And, you know, and then another one that, and it's not even drag racing, but one of the people that I've always, you know, was one of my heroes that I've actually got to meet and wasn't disappointed when I did meet him was Richard Petty. And that was how, you know, Richard was and still is with the fans. You know, he's, he's known for signing every autograph, no matter how long the line is, you know, a guy like that had, had an influence on me and, you know, so every, every time you, you know, can get the opportunity to watch some of these people that, that you, you know, idolized as a kid. And it's, it's pretty a cool thing, especially, you know, if uh, they turn out being great people. 
For sure. That's some great stuff. We're going to take a quick commercial break here on the Dragzine Podcast. When we come back, we'll have more here with Clay Milliken. Whether you'd like your ride to rumble down the road or roar down the racetrack, Flowmaster has the perfect exhaust system for you. With direct fit options for classic and late model cars, trucks, and SUVs, to race-oriented, high-flow systems, fabricated ready tubes, flanges, and other exhaust components that are ready to weld, Flowmaster has you covered. All right, we're back here on the Dragzine Podcast with Clay Milliken and some good conversation so far. And I, I did a little bit of, you know, ask Google some questions about you because I want to at least pretend like I know what I'm doing, which, you know, fake it till you make it. And, you know, Peter Lehman kind of gave you the opportunity, I, I read, to, to start in top fuel racing, which, again, I couldn't imagine what it would be like jumping in one of these cars for the first time. And, you know, what were those early years like for you when you start racing top fuel? Because I've heard some interesting stories from drivers, but what was it like for you when you, you you know, you jump into one of these cars and you start trying to make laps? Um, You know, without a doubt, Peter Lehman, you know, was the guy that gave me this top fuel career. You know, he was a a young guy that I met. It's my life story that I've I've told a million times and and I know we're limited on how much time we got, but essentially this man named Raymond King, who was vice president of TCI, the racing transmission company in Ashland, Mississippi. He kind of took me under his wing and helped me start going to some NHRA races and IHRA races, racing my 890 car, you know, my, my, my little super comp dragster and felt pro which was owned by the Lehman family, bought TCI. And so on one of my trips to, to go to the IHRA National Event in Cordova, I went to the Felpro Company picnic and I met Peter Lehman. And at the end of that season, Raymond called me and said, hey, you remember that Peter Lehman kid you met? And I said, yeah, kind of. And what I remembered about him was I knew his dad, you know, ran Felpro. So, you know, I kind of had that, that memory in my head there. And so Peter ended up flying to Memphis and riding with me to Darlington. And he did that because he was writing a story for a non-fictional class he was taking at Northwestern at the time. And things happen when they're supposed to happen. I truly believe that. Well, I won my first IHRA national event that weekend. First one I've ever won. And Peter was with me and he was writing this story. And And he continually asked me, why do you do this? You obviously spend every dollar that you and your wife have. And, you know, you're you're riding in this old crappy pickup. And so I kept telling, you know, I want to drive a top fuel car. And we became friends. We're still friends to this day. And well, in this time frame, Felpro sold the company. Well, here's a young man that his entire life, he knew that he would run the Felpro gasket company because his dad did, his granddad did, his great-granddad ran Felpro. Well, now they sold the company. And so he decided to go racing. And it was me that got to drive the car. And, you know, and he'd done a lot of amazing things. You know, we, he brought Werner Enterprises into the sport. And that's when we had our amazing run in the IHRA side of things. And so the opportunity for me to drive the top fuel car, though, which was your original question, was something that Peter put together a deal with the Chicago White Sox. It was uh, a brand new racetrack opening in Joliet, Illinois. And so he put a deal together with the White Sox 
and we reached out to Paul Smith and I got the opportunity to go get my license. And as a kid that his entire life dreamed about driving a top fuel car, you know, it's like, man, I want to do this so bad. And when I put the helmet on for the first time to drive the car, I literally thought I was going to throw up. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you think you want to do it, you know you want to do it, but when it's right there in front of you, yes, it was a, a stomach knot kind of time. And when that thing fired up and I, and I did my first burnout, staged and left and Paul Smith and Mike Smith, they told me, they said, you know, drive the thing 300 feet if you can. And I did that and just got a giant smile on my face because at that moment, I'm like, I can do this, you know, and here we are, you know, uh, however many years later, that was, I got my license on May 10th of 1998, and I've done nothing but race top fuel cars for a living since then. You know, there, there's been a little bit of time spent in uh, my best friend's cabinet shop when I couldn't pay my bills and I spent a, you know, a little time here and there sanding cabinets just to make a little money to make it to the next race. But Peter Lehman is an amazing man. Uh, he's, I still call him all the time. He still calls me all the time. You know, he, he gave me an opportunity and I'm still here. That's an awesome story. And you know what? Don't worry about time. We're here to have fun. If we go over, we go over. It's it's all about whatever you have the most time for. If we, you know, I've had guests on here before where I've had to actually chop the throttle a little bit because i'm like man these guys could go on for hours and like you know i'm perfectly i i would talk for hours with anybody but you know we don't feel like you need to cut something short or not tell a good story because that's what it's all about and i you know i could only imagine what you know i put a helmet on a time or two myself and it's funny it's hard for people to understand that maybe don't race a lot that when you put that helmet on things get quiet all of a sudden, you know, what's it like when you have to do that in a top fuel car for the first time? You talked about the knots, but that's a different level when you got to put that helmet on and all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is about to get real. You're, you're, you're alone with your thoughts, right? Oh, 100%. You know, I can still remember that. I mean, I literally had that feeling that I may throw up, you know, and uh, it's like, this is one of those things that, all you've thought about, all you've ever wanted to do, and, and now you're about to do it. And I, and I tell people this, you know, I wanted to just go fast. You know, I never really thought about winning races, and I just wanted to see what that was like, the opportunity to, to go out there and, and build the G-forces of a top fuel car, you know, uh, as a fan. And I still do this to this day. I mean, I, I, I did it at our last race. I love going down towards the finish line and watching nitro cars when you see the tree flash and you see the car move and they're moving before you hear them, you know? So I just like wanted to find out what that was like, you know, that noise, the sound and the feel of what it is going down the racetrack is totally, you can't describe that to anybody. You know, it's a normal question. What does it feel like? There is no description for that. I have had the opportunity to do some amazing things because I've raced top fuel for so long. I've jumped out of airplanes. I rode with the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds. None of that, not even close, 
to what it is feeling the acceleration of a top fuel car. You know, it's, um, I definitely have uh, that thing where I can't be still, I can't not talk, you know, I've constantly got to be moving, but that is my happy place. You know, that moment that you, the car fires up and, and, and you're doing all these things, it is where I, I love being, you know, just that whole process of, knowing that the car is going to A, be an amazing, quick, fast run, or B, it's out of control and, and you're the one trying to uh, wrestle it down through there without blowing it up, without crossing the center line, without touching the wall. It's just amazing. And I wish everybody could get the opportunity to, to feel that zero to 100 miles an hour in eight-tenths of a second that zero to 200 in, in two seconds and zero to over 300 and barely over three seconds. It's just awesome. I could only imagine like a, a small inkling of what that's like. It's funny. You, you talk about the, the movie, then you hear them. I shot nitro for the first time at the top end up at Norwalk this year. I've shot trackside before, but I've never been at the top end to get parachute shots that really that whole concept got driven home because i'm trying to like you know get my shot all squared up and ready i see the tree flash you see him move and it seemed like an attorney then all of a sudden you hear him i was like all right that's different what i wasn't ready for was how much noise the cars made at the top end when they're popping and cracking and like i'm thinking is everything like at first it kind of caught me off guard because you hear it on tv it's not like it doesn't do it justice how loud the cars are and how fast they're still moving. It's crazy. And it's funny you mentioned that popping. So what's going on there? You know, when we step off the throttle, the chutes are out. These things, the negative Gs initially make them want to shut off because the, the G-force is so high when the chutes hit that the fuel runs back towards the fuel tank, kind of leans the motor out and you hear that popping. Well, we do everything we can to figure out how to not have that happen. Uh, again, I mentioned I, I can't not be talking all the time. So we use radios in the car. And I will actually relay that information <clears throat> back to Mike to let him know that, hey, this thing popped a couple times shutting off because the supercharger does not like that. Oh, no. uh, you can actually uh, ruin the, the case, the, you know, the supercharger case because it will balloon the case. You know, it's like poof, you know, when you hear that pop, it's actually can ruin your supercharger, you know? And so we, we do different things to try to keep that from happening, but yeah, some wild stuff. Some of the, the wildest rides I've ever taken is not while you're wide open. It's while you're trying to stop, you know, uh, cruise fans, you know, there's like, you know, cars go through the finish line and then they, you know, turn their attention back to the starting line. Well, a lot of times the action is happening from that finish line to the sand trap. You know, it's uh, a wild ride down there from time to time. Yeah, that's the one of the very few, like, I, I have a certain level of, like, fearlessness, but I also have a very high level of self-preservation. And there's certain spots on the track that if I was given the opportunity I still wouldn't stand for the simple fact that you're just, if something bad happens, 
you're, you're just, you're in the worst place possible. And it's like at the top end, I try to always swing and see what's happening at the top end, because a lot of times people will miss something that's happening down there until like all of a sudden someone, they hear other people a clamor like, Oh, what's going on? Like the whole time I'm trying to like look through my zoom lens. I'm like, Oh, the shoots aren't out there in for a ride or, Oh, they're upside down. That's not good. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, so many crazy things can happen with these cars. You know, it's, it's again, you know, it, it's controlled and sometimes out of controlled, you know, fastest accelerating vehicle on the planet. So it, it's not over with till you've stepped out of the car and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and the crew's there to take it back and get it ready to do again. You know, some of the racetracks we go to are more challenging than others, you know, as far as the stopping goes. I mean, this year I made a, a pretty big run. I, I don't know, 320 miles an hour. And I got out of sequence. You know, there's a lot of drivers won't tell you when they, they make a mistake again with the YouTube I'm doing, you know, I, I'm, we're, we're putting it all out there, you know? So as you're approaching the finish line in these cars, about the mile an hour light is kind of my, again, back to following the cones. When I get to the mile an hour light, I usually open the parachutes back to the old school. I'm not doing it off of uh, the front wheel sensor on this thing, but back to Maple Grove, I got, I actually had the throttle closed before I opened the chutes, which you're in a negative G situation and the parachutes come out and fell right in the wheelie bar. So Maple Grove is a very short shutoff. You know, here I am going 320 or whatever the speed was and the chutes don't open. Well, that gets your heart rate up like right away. You know, you smoke the brakes off the thing and I got it stopped. Uh, it's another story I could tell about going into the sand trap at Maple Grove, but I got it stopped, made the corner. And there's always, you know, NHRA safety safari guys down there directing you which way to go, you know, whether you're going to, you always want them to direct you over by the television camera because that means you did something good. Well, in this case, they weren't directing me over there and it was a good thing because the guys waving me to, you know, pull up to him and I, I am uh, animated waving to him to move out of the way. And, and I had to make my way through the grass in the old parts plus top fuel car, because while I got it stopped, I completely smoked the brake fluid in the thing. And when I made it around the corner, I had zero brakes left. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times things are very, very exciting at the finish line down there. And that was, the second time for me that I've had something exciting at, at Maple Grove happen with, I've had it happen three times now that I think about it, but uh, it's crazy down there sometimes, you know, some of the most exciting part is for the driver and the fans aren't, aren't necessarily watching it. Oh yeah. It's, I've been at the top end when I've seen uh pro mods have parachute issues. That's scary because those cars come, you know, barreling through at 250 plus mile an hour and they're making little, mini sonic booms because it's like a refrigerator box trying to go fast and you'll see those guys like legit they'll make the turn sometimes at night you'll see little glowing brake rotors if they've had a parachute problem now you know what what's another time you could talk you know whether top end or whatever where you know it, it's like a movie moment where you get out of the car you're done you're like well, that could have ended pretty badly. You're just kind of like, all right, well, glad that, you know, didn't go the way it goes. You know, maybe a car got it started to get away from you. You know, what's another time where you're kind of like, oh, well, that, that was, that was bad. <laughs> well, I've, I've had a lot of those, you know, and, you know, probably the one that people, you know, talk about the most was certainly uh, back in my HRA days. And if you, 
remember back when they did the Dukes of Hazard movie with Johnny Knoxville, we had a deal with Warner Brothers Studio where we wrapped our car orange and we were promoting the movie. And, you know, I uh, promptly blew the car over backwards. You know, for me, that was a, a, a very exciting, very quiet moment. We were racing Bruce Linton in the semifinals. I'm leading the points. He's second in points. And Mike had had our car really, really carrying the front end. It had done it for a lot of races. And this thing is just dangling the front end for hundreds of feet down the racetrack. And we're racing Bruce there at Milan, Michigan. And car leaves carrying the front end. It goes into tire shake. And I pedal the thing, but you know, hindsight being 2020, the tire shake had really kind of cleared up and I pedaled on the backside of it, which made the thing start to hike the front end up a little more, a little more, a little more. And I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Mr. World Champion. I, I got this and I can handle it. And when I lost the sight of the scoreboards, I knew at that moment that I had definitely driven literally over my head so to speak, <laughs> pun intended there, I guess, you know, and uh, again, I mentioned a moment ago about using radios. So as the car makes its way to vertical, the body blows off of it. You know, if anybody that's ever seen a blow, a, a blow over, you know, that that's one of the things that happens, you know, it catches enough air. So this awesome orange Dukes of Hazard body just poof, it vanishes the car gets straight up and down and it was literally the quietest moment in my life. There is no sound. It is absolute dead silent. And every, every once in a while I would key the radio up and just say, I'm okay. Well, as the car rotated on <clears throat> further over, I hear it running again. So I, I cut the fuel off, I cut the switches off and I wait for impact, you know? So it lands, you know, I was in fetal position waiting on it. It lands, everything's okay. I call on the radio again. I'm okay, you know, and long story short, this thing slides <clears throat> upside down backwards, I'm told, for 2,000 feet, and uh, it was a crazy ride. You can go find it. It is out there in, in the YouTube world, but all said and done, you know, uh, I had the most delicate top fuel crash of all times. Uh, the car was essentially unhurt minus the wing stand, rear wing, and the body. We flew Brad Hadman in, our chassis builder. When he gets there, you know, we've got the car all stripped down. We assume it needs front half, and he looks at it, and he's like, why am I here? This car is ready to go, but we're, we uh, we went, had him go ahead and front half the thing, and we went to the next next race and, and won it. You know, there's uh, that's one that, that people have seen and asked about a lot. You know, there are uh, – for me, fortunately, that's been like the only real big highlight reel as far as uh, crashing cars go or what have you. But if you do it long enough, it's going to happen. You know, these things are, uh, they're on the edge all the time, but that was definitely a, a, a wild ride for me. And I don't want to do that again, but it was, uh, it's one of those, those deals that in the moment it takes forever and it is super quiet while it's going on until it's not, you know, but Nitro cars, you don't never know what you're going to get. It's funny. Every drag racer that I've ever talked to that has 
you know, done the whole, they've got their competition license, then they try to check the box to get their pilot's license, which is not what you want to do on your NHRA license. They've all said the same thing. These cars, when doesn't matter what level it is, when things are quiet, nothing good is happening. You've either spun or just nothing good is happening. And I could only imagine being in a top fuel car like that, where it's just, you know, you're, you're, you're literally just a passenger along for the ride, and especially up at Milan, which we've raced up there many times. That's, that's a long track. That's a long time to be upside down thinking, having your thoughts to yourself as you're getting a spark shower, wondering if you're about to become a, a, a human pot roast inside the car, which is probably, again, not a fun time. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, it was uh, a wild, crazy ride. And, you know, all I kept thinking was, man, we've done one all these races with this car and, and I just ruined it because it truly was my fault. You know, the, the thing was going right on down through there and, and I just pedaled it on the backside of the shake when it already had a light front end. And, uh, you know, sometimes we're not as good as we think we are. You know, that's all there is to it. But when we're in the car, you know, we have that mindset that we can make the car do what we want to do. And, and in all reality, when it comes to a nitro car, you do the best you can do, but it's still up to the car. What happens? It's uh, it's the old classic, uh, what, you know, the old cartoons. I got it. I got it. I don't got it. That's how a lot of these accidents seem to happen is oh, I, I thought I had it. And then I did. And that's, that's, you, you don't want to be on that backside of that for sure. Oh, no question about it. I mean, you know, there's, so many things that, that go into driving one of these things. And you mentioned Frank Holly earlier and, and I've read, read his book and, and he talks about in there, you know, there a lot of times, you know, from the grandstands, people were like, man, that was an awesome job. You know, you controlled the car. It was wild and blah, 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 you know, whatever the case is. But in all reality, me as a driver, I may have caused that, you know, I, I might've got one tire out of the groove, which made the car, you know, get the tires loose. And then the next thing, you know, you're smoking the tires, trying to get to the finish line, but, and people are patting you on the back for doing a good job. But the truth is you did a bad job and you made it smoke the tires and you put yourself in that situation where you got to drive it like a madman, just try to get that wind light to come on, you know? So it's interesting, you know, when you've done it thousands of times and, and you know, deep down inside, it's like, I'm the one that really calls that. It was not the crew chief. It wasn't, you know, a bad call. It was a bad driving job. But here I, you know, here you are getting patted on the back for something that, that really you did it. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where we know the truth. It's like, oh, I'm just going to let the, uh, I'm going to let the myth take over because it's a little prettier. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact you know it, it's just so fun though you know when when these things rip right down the middle of the racetrack and they run low et of the weekend or whatever you know that is your team that did that and, and you did nothing wrong to make something go wrong you know and uh i'm i'm pretty quick you know to to admit as i've gotten older you know to admit hey that was my fault i did that you know and uh I think that's just the best way to do, you know, it, sometimes it's even better to admit when maybe the, the team did something wrong, you know, Mike Clover has, has said this, and I think it was a Don Perdome thing, you know, uh, no fame, no blame, you know, if, if 
the crew chief and the driver are the ones that, that, you know, the microphone get put in their face or whatever. And if you want the fame, you got to take the blame. And, and that's a hundred percent correct. Well, we're going to take another quick break here on the Dragzine podcast, the Clay Millick. And we come back, we're going to talk about the old days and some IHRA racing right here on the Dragzine podcast. Founded in 1981, DART is celebrating its 40th anniversary to provide extra reliability in high stress LS engine applications Dart founder and much-honored engine builder Richard Maskin designed a fully counterweighted billet steel crank. With eight counterweights instead of the normal six, it can comfortably handle power adders. It's available in a stock 3.622-inch stroke or a 4.000 stroker model. Call 248-362-1188 for more details. All right, we're back here on the Dragzine podcast with Clay Milliken. And Clay, you know, you, you did spent a, a tremendous career in the IHRA. You stacked up multiple titles. What was it, six total? Six in a row, yep. Always got to ask now because I made the mistake with Peter Biondo that I, his apparently his webpage wasn't updated and he won like a ton more titles than what I said. And he was cool about it. He rolled with it, but that was kind of like, it was a teachable moment. Always ask that leading question to make sure you don't stick your foot totally in your mouth. And, you know, winning six in a row is amazing at any level with a fuel car. What are, what are some of your favorite memories of that time? Because when you're, when you're on a roll like that, that's just, that's not something a lot of people get to experience. Yes. And, and, you know, it's funny you mentioned Peter Biondo because his website being updated is no surprise that guy may may not even remember how many world championships he's won. He's one of the greatest racers ever in the drag racing world, hands down. You know he's he's phenomenal. But you know winning six in a row was it's crazy to say this, but you can let the pressure get to you, and there is no such thing as people putting pressure on you. Pressure comes with from within, and we're seeing the th- same thing happening not the pressure part of it, but when you get on a roll like that, we're seeing it with Steve Torch, you know, they've, they've been on an amazing roll. And there are times when that's happening that to be honest with you, it's easy. Things are just happening. Then and you're turning on wind lights when you shouldn't, you know, people are making mistakes because they're trying to do things that they're not capable of doing. And the next thing you know, you've won, you know, two championships, three championships, it just keeps happening. But, there are times when that's going on where the pressure starts building because you're supposed to win. No matter what's going on, you're supposed to win. And you'll start to get that internal pressure of not wanting to be the weak link. You know, everything is clicking. Every member of your team is doing their job to the utmost perfection. And you don't want to be the one to let the team down. You don't want to be the one to stop that role that you're on, you know, so that internal pressure does, you know, start, start clicking off, you know, and for me, I was very uh, fortunate that, you know, I don't want to say we were unbeatable, but we had a season to where we went to every final round, you know, that's just crazy. You know, there's uh there, there's just so many stories in that run we had, you know, I raced IHRA top fuel for seven years. My very first full season of top fuel in IHRA, I finished second in points. I won my first top fuel race that season. 
beating Shirley Muldowney in the final in Grand Bend. You know, that was amazing. You know, I told you earlier that all I had thought about it growing up was I just wanted to drive one of these things and see what it felt like. Well, you know, here I am beating Shirley Muldowney in a final round and, and I won a race. And then we won some more races. And then the next thing you know, we're in a points battle down to the last race of the season. And to win that race, I needed to win the race and set the national record. Well, we set the front half of the national record in the semifinals, I think it was. We're racing Paul Romine in the CarQuest car in the final round. And we needed to back the national record up. And we needed to win the race. Light flashes. We've got it tuned up. We need to set back that record up. We need to win the race. We smoke the tires. Romine smokes the tires. So we're, we're in a pedal fest here. And I turn the wind light on and I go over to congratulate Paul Romine. Now I just won the race, but I know he had just won the championship. I go over to congratulate him and, and he wasn't necessarily the most friendliest guy at that moment. I think he, uh, you know, he thought I might was, was taunting him a bit or whatever, you know? And so I just kind of backed away and I get the trophy and it was a weird feeling, you know, here I am holding an Ironman. I had just won a national event, but I know that I just lost the championship. And Paul Romine didn't re realize until his team got there and they were celebrating more than my team was because my team was like, oh man, we lost the championship. But his team knew he just didn't realize the points implication at the time. But it was one of those things where I think we felt like we were so close to winning that championship and it got away from us. And I'm sitting here telling you about we needed to back the national record up, but we could go back through that entire season. Any one round somewhere would have made us now would be the seven time world champions in IHRA. And so I think that was a great learning process for a very young team that really the only person on that team that had any experience was our crew chief, Mike Clover. So the following season, I think it made us realize that every single run is the most important run you're about to make because that first year we felt like that one run in that final was so important to win it all. And we did it. So I think it gave us a mindset of every qualifying run, every round is the most important run you're going to make. And when your entire team buys into that concept, you win six straight world championships. And again, back to Steve Torrance, that's happening with them. They realize every single run, they, they just don't make mistakes. And, and fortunately, you know, they've, they've got the budget in place to be able to put the best parts in place every single run. And that's how you look at it. You know, there's so many stories in, in our, you know, again, raced IHRA top field for seven years and, and we won six straight world championships, 50, one national events and IHRA back then, you know, they would have 10 to 12 races a year is all they would have. And we won 50 national events out of however many possibilities it was 51, excuse me, but uh, unbelievable, you know, and when you get on that roll, it's good. You ride that wave until you're not, you know, so I know what it, 
I know what it feels like. And it's amazing to go to the racetrack knowing that a, you should win and B, you don't want to be the guy that screws it up and don't win. And I think at the same time, you know, you go off of that, you look at Torrance's team, they look like they are always having fun. They just look loose. And I think that that I, I can that a lot to like, when you look at like a lot of MMA fighters, the guys that go in there that just look like they're loose and they're ready, like they, they're not tense. You know what I mean? It's, it's hard for someone to describe that's never been in that position, but when you're loose like that, it honestly, I think it makes a difference, especially in a drag race, because it puts you in that positive side of the mental game that you can deal with anything. Oh, you just, you know, you have the, uh, the ability to know that, that you're going to win, you know, that, that is a mindset and, you know, it's, it's one of those things that some people just kind of naturally have that, you know, Peter Biondo's a, a good guy to mention on that. And, you know, when every person on your team knows that they've done their job correctly and, and they believe in the person beside them, those wind lights just come on. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's a, some people might confuse confidence and cockiness there and it's, it's confidence. It's just that you are showing up and you know that you have done your job and you're going to make stuff happen. And that makes a huge difference to these teams. No, no doubt about it. You know, there, uh, there are people that, that have the in, intense look and there are people that, that are, you know, loose when they go about it, you know, it's just, every person is different how they handle the pressure and, you know, you just got to be yourself. You know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm the smiling guy that, that smiles win or lose because I know that I am very fortunate to be a guy that puts a helmet on for a living. You know, I mean, we were talking about Peter Lehman earlier. I mean, I, I was working at a Kroger food warehouse is what I was doing for a living. You know, I, I was married, I had kids and, I got this opportunity to, to go and do this, you know, and so I'm going to smile. I know win or lose that I am driving a race car, paying my bills, and I'm not punching a clock at the Kroger Food Warehouse. Now, now on the flip side of that, when I quit my job there in May 10th of 98, when, when I got my top fuel license, you know, I, I signed up for uh you know, the racer's full-time life, which means there is no retirement. There is no 401k. There is no health insurance benefits, you know, all those things. And me and my wife talk about it. You know, I'm 55 years old now. And it's like, you know, we can never retire. And me and her laugh about it. We're living our retirement every day, you know, but it also means that that we're, we're going to continue working, <laughs> you know, until we're old, older and grayer, you know, but uh, we, we love our life and, and, you know, drag racing has provided that, you know, so I absolutely love everything about drag racing, even the bad stuff and the stuff that, you know, we're all continually trying to improve, you know, whether it's having fans in the grandstands during a pandemic or trying to explain bracket racing so that more people will go out and do it, you know, drag racing is uh, my favorite thing there is out there you, you know clay you mentioned that about you know always you know constantly having to work you know retirement plan and it, one of my good friends says this all the time when people question what i do when it comes to racing i just tell them i would rather have cool stories in the retirement home than be 
rich and retired and not have lived a life. And I'm like, you know what? That's, that's deep, man. That's, that's, that's deep. And that hits home. Oh, I mean, you know, it is like, say our stories are, are endless. You know, there's so many stories and a lot of them are just getting to the racetrack, you know, it's just, sometimes that's, that's the biggest part of the battle, just getting there, you know, and as far as, uh, the, the, the old folks home goes, you know, I'm, they'll, they'll probably uh, put me in a rocking chair off in the corner because they're going to get sick of hearing the same old stories over and over again. But, you know, it's what we do, you know, our, every day is, is an adventure, you know, and I do not regret one single bit, you know, uh, leaving the security of, of having a, a great job, you know, because I get to spend every day, you know, with my wife and, with the people that work on the race car that, that have the, the same love for, for racing that I do. And, you know, you can't get that necessarily at a normal job. No, not at all. It, it's funny. You mentioned that sometimes the adventure is just getting to the track. And that's the other thing I always tell people we've talked about on the show. There's three point, there's three parts to a race, getting to the race, what happens to the race and getting home. And I know I've had some wild stuff happening on the front half and back half where you're like, trailer tires blowing out seeing uh interesting characters at rest stops at three in the morning i mean you look like running out of gas on the interstate because you made a slight miscalculation what's a good road story that you might have that would uh, entertain folks uh, obviously i've got a lot of them and you know it's it's funny i've been married i think this is going on 35 36 years you know i married my high school sweetheart and it's crazy, but her and I have a love for good truck stops. You know, it, it's, it's one of those things, you know, and a lot of people, they think truck stops are horrible, but you can find great ones out there, you know, you can. And so, you know, we kind of travel the same paths all the time. You know, we have the same stops that we stop at. Uh, her and I will drive to about half of the NHRA races. If you draw a circle, of 12 hours around Memphis, we drive to those races. You know, I've got a, an old toter home and, and we bring our dogs and, and, uh, but some of the, you know, funny stories, I'm, I'm going to go back to my IHRA days. There's a kid. He's not a kid anymore. He's now married and got kids himself, but he and I used, and, and, and another guy, you know, we drove the Werner truck, you know, the Werner big truck. And, for whatever reason, we had to get from, from one race to the next and, and we have no time. And we had done swapped off driving two or three times amongst ourselves, trying to get a little nap. And I pull over on the side of the road and hop out and buggy is this guy's name. He, he's at comp cams now. And I wake him up cause he had napped off in the passenger seat when I pulled off on the side of the interstate. And he's like, what are you doing? I said, it's time to go run. And he didn't even hesitate. He hopped out and me and him literally were racing each other around the trailer. I mentioned Richard Petty too. I was Richard Petty trying to go around the last turn at Daytona. All I'm trying to do is get that heart rate up so that I can make it to the next stop. You know, that's, that's one of those things that now at 55 years old, when that sleep monster gets on my shoulder, we find a rest stop, you know, or we find a truck stop because you can just push yourself to where you're hallucinating driving those trucks up and down the road. And it's scary, dangerous. I think about some of that stuff, you know, it's like, 
oh, you were an idiot. You know, when you're that sleepy that you got to get out and start running, you need to stop. <laughs> it's just part of it. I am 100% stealing that trick. 100% because yeah. me and my friends are dumb enough. We will absolutely use that. We're at advanced age enough where we shouldn't, but we will use that. That's that's an amazing, that that's a pro tip right there. You should, you should charge for advice like that. <laughs> it's a true story. You could call Buggy right now and he'll tell you, me and him literally were making laps around that whole rig. There's trucks coming by. They had to think that, that uh, one of us was trying to beat up the other because he was leading sometimes and I was leading others. But, you know, it's just crazy what you do on the road. I mean, there's just so many stories of, uh, again, you know, flat tires. Another quick one. We're driving to Indy, and, and this was before we had a toter home. We had a, a, a dually with a gooseneck trailer that had living quarters in the front, and, and that was what me and Donna used for going to the races. And I had a blowout, and, and she videos it, and I posted it on Instagram. And I had a friend that works at a tire company that called me a little while later. And the next thing I know, I had six tires show up at the house because he was tired of seeing me change tires on the side of the road, you know, but it's just part of it, you know, blowouts, wheel bearings, you name it, trucks quitting is, it's just crazy. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things when I got my first uh, trailer, one of the, the third thing I bought for the trailer was one of the little deals where you drive up on it to change the tire because I'd seen where we had to use that at one point. I'm like, all right, going to want to deal with that. Learn the hard way on one of our trips to speed video that a uh, triaxle uh, toy hauler. Yeah, that that trick doesn't doesn't work, and we had to invest in a bottle jack. And yeah, it's it's the stuff on the road. That, like you, again, you do stuff or you see stuff. You're like, why did I do that? At what point was that a good idea? I gotta tell one quick story, and it wasn't me. And I just mentioned buggy, and and there was another guy that was always in the Werner truck, and his name's Keelan. Keelan Hooten, he is uh, an amazing guy, helped us on the Warner car for years and years. And so we were on a run of crazy races during the IHRA time because we would do about 10 NHRA races a year at the peak of our Warner, Warner Enterprises sponsorship. And so we were doing all these crazy back-to-back, -back, you know, whether it was from Rockingham to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, to uh, Pomona, California. And so having Werner as a sponsor, you know, from time to time when we were doing those runs, they would provide us a truck driver, which was awesome. You know, so Keelan was not going to allow anybody to drive that Werner truck without him being in it. And so we were on the way, I think it might've been Sonoma, doesn't matter, through the Rocky Mountains, everybody that's been through there, they, they see those runoffs, you know, for big trucks when they lose their brakes to have a place to go. So Werner, Werner was uh, sent us a truck driver and Keelan's driving and he got hung up behind a couple motorhomes, which can send us off down a path of uh, telling people, if you see a big truck coming down a hill, get the heck out of the way because yeah. they only got so much air. And when they run out of air, they're, they're, they're done. So Keelan got hung up behind some motorhomes, run out of air and he knows he has no option but to make it to the bottom of the hill and use the runoff, hauling the, the Werner top fuel car. And so the uh, truck driver was in, in the bunk in the back asleep. And he says, you know, it was the, the, the scariest thing of his entire life. He knows he's fixing to have to hit this runoff. But he had the presence of mind to uh, reach back and slap the curtain to the sleeper and tell the Werner guy, hey, you probably want to get up and see this 
and not miss it sitting in the sleeper back there. And so the old Warner truck made its way into the, the runoff and uh, it was kind of obviously very, very scary for him, but it was kind of funny for us when I got to the racetrack and under our entire truck and trailer, there was pea gravel everywhere that, that we continually had to pick out for months and months and months. But uh, yeah, I was glad I was not part of that one. Like putting a car in a sand trap. You're finding you're finding pea gravel for the rest of the season. You're like, I thought I got all of this. <laughs> That's a fact. And we were digging it out from under our trailer. We were literally taking pry bars, raising the floor up to get the pea gravel out from under the uh, the cross braces in that thing. But uh, road stories sometimes are better than the racetrack stories. Yes, yes, they are. Now you, you listen to the show. You know, I always like to throw a fun question at the end, and. You know, we've done time travel, unlimited bank accounts, building your own series. Well, I'm going to make you an artist, Clay. If you, you are now in charge of building the Mount Rushmore for top fuel drivers, we, we got a mountain somewhere, we're going to do it. We'll figure it out later. Who are the four drivers that you would put on the Mount Rushmore for top fuel racing? Top fuel only. Top fuel only because we, we, we could open up all of drag race and that'd be a giant can of worms. So we're going to make it slightly easier and just do top fuel. <laughs> top fuel only. Well, I mean, you know, one of them's pretty obvious. You know, it, it's Big Daddy Don Garlitz. It's Kenny Bernstein. It's Joe Amato. And, you know, the, the last one is somebody that, uh, you know, maybe doesn't get as much accolades as he should, but it probably for me would, would be, you know, like Gary Ormsby. Gary Ormsby was, uh, you know, he was a guy that a lot of it was, was pretty cool. What him and his team did, you know, they, uh, they, you know, covered up the throttle pedal to make people wonder what the heck was going on when they had something else that they were doing that other teams were paying attention to the throttle pedal, but it was something else. You know, as as a young guy watching back then, I, I kind of thought that was cool. But, you know, uh, that's that's pretty cool. I, I could go on and on. There's a lot of people. Daryl Russell, you know, is somebody that I think about, you know, Blaine Johnson, you know. So for me, it might be more than four. You know, it's, I could go on on that list, but I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that. Yeah, it, it's one of those questions where uh, – we have sometimes we'll try to come up with op-ed ideas. I'm like, man, that's like the, the, the Mount Rushmore drag race. I'm like, you almost have to get specific. And even then you're always going to piss somebody off because you leave somebody off. And it's, it's, it's a very uh, difficult process for sure. It really, really is. And I've been trying to figure out, is that uh, Scott Kalita on the uh, Winston poster there behind you? Yes, it is. 19, How about that? 1995 Kalita, John Force and Warren Johnson. Yes, sir. That's, that's a cool poster. I had some of those. And, uh, you know, again, that's a tough question because, you know, a lot of people kind of think of Scott as, you know, funny car, top fuel, but that guy won in both. You know, he's he was an amazing wheel man and, and a wild man at the same time. Had no fear, none whatsoever. If any of our viewers or listeners get the chance, go on YouTube and look up one of the old show's winners when they had Connie on there and they had a young Scott Coletta helping tune the car, run the car and a wild Doug Coletta appears as well. 
you know, full head of hair, you know, just definitely in his prime. And when another thing a lot of people forget about Doug Coletta is uh, he used to be a, one heck of a circle burner driver, open wheel. Um, you, you want to talk about something interesting was I was watching on Flow Racing a uh, event where Doug was uh, running up against uh, Tony Stewart as well as Jeff Gordon in a race. And I mean, he, Doug looks like he could do your taxes, but he will straight crush your head in just about anything with a steering wheel. Not only was he racing against them, he won the championship. Yep. Doug Kalita is no joke behind the wheel. I, I call him the Iceman. You know, he is, uh, he's rock solid. He doesn't make mistakes. And he's one of the guys that I actually enjoy racing the most just because of that. Because you know you're not going to get a give me. You, you better be ready and 100% focused on what you're doing because that guy is a stone cold killer behind the wheel of a race car especially driving a uh, wingless USAC car because those things, they're, they're angry. They, you talk about a top fueler not doing what you want to do. You're taking something with a 410 engine in it and trying to whip around a track with no wing, no downforce. They're, they're, they are a handful to watch. He's a bad dude. He's a bad dude. Definitely. Well, Clay, our time here is coming to an end. I'd like to give my guests their opportunity to channel their inner John force and thank all their sponsors and who they need to thank. So, uh, I'm going to flip it over to you, my friend, so you can uh, do your deal and thank who you need to thank. Well, I appreciate that, but I'm certainly not going to try to imitate John Forrest because I want you to understand what I'm saying. <laughs> so so let, I'm going to leave that one, that one out there. But, you know, I've done this for a long, long time. There's so many people that, that have helped me get to where I'm at. And, you know, Parts Plus has been with me. This is the 11th year. That is a long, long time running sponsorship. And there's so many vendors to go along with it. But, you know, Doug Stringer, who owns my team, has uh, put in and gave everything he has to give us the opportunity to, to go out there and win races. And, you know, old Mike Clover, we won all those IHRA championships together. And he kind of went away for a while and, and we we begged him to come back and, and we're out there, you know, thrashing, making final rounds, doing things again together. And, and it's just amazing, but it's way too many people to, to mention this part of this, you know, that 20 plus years of doing it is pretty much anybody and everybody that, that I have, you know, come in contact with fans, people, you name it. I love my job, love the sport of drag racing and love the opportunity to come on drag zine and talk about it. Well, we definitely appreciate you come on. Make sure you follow Clay on Facebook. He does answer messages because I messaged him there to get the setup. So that was definitely, definitely awesome. And, you know, I've got to thank my sponsors, of course, performance distributors, airflow research, pro charger, Holly, MSD, Flowmaster. Mosier Engineering, Comp Cams, Fuel Air Spark Technology, Elderbrock Manley, JE Pistons, and Dart. Clay, it was awesome to have you on the show. And if we get the opportunity, I'll definitely have back on in the future. Man, I appreciate it. Enjoy the show and look forward to the next one.